Well, we've all heard the phrase from a quaint little song, Zacchaeus was a wee little man, and a wee little man was he. And many of us in this room uh, either sung it as a child or have led it in children's church. But there's also another song that I learned as a child growing up that went along with the story and pairs with the story. And the key words in this song are as follows. The things I used to do, I don't do them anymore. The things I used to do, I don't do them anymore. The things I used to do, I don't do them anymore. There's been a great change since I've been born again. That's kind of what I want to preach to, uh, preach on the subject this morning of there's been a great change. The interesting thing about this song is that it could be your song as well if you have surrendered to Jesus Christ as your Savior. In fact, it not only could be your song, it should be your song. Who we were before Christ. Who we are apart from Christ. Who we are in spite of our sinfulness. It ought to be different with Jesus Christ in our life than when Jesus Christ is not in our life. So there ought to be a great change. And I can remember growing up singing this song and we got all excited about it. And of course as a kid it was just a fun song. And we used to divide the the classroom in half, and this side of the church would, or the classroom would sing, there's been a great, great change, change, and you know, and we get all going, all excited, but you know, really did we think about, what was that song really saying? Is there a change in our life because of who we claim to know? Is there something different about how we live because we say Christ lives within us? There has to be a difference. If there's no difference, it probably means that there's really no change. And if there's really no change, there really might be a question of, is there really Jesus indwelling us? So we have to really think about the change that should come as a result of knowing Jesus Christ as our Savior. So more than a childhood song, more than just a fun, exciting song for children, it teaches us the truth that things ought to be different for us as God's children, right? So there's a unique story, and I want to read it in Luke chapter 19. I'm going to read verses 1 through 10, and then I'm going to kind of bounce back and share a little bit about what it meant to be a tax collector and the change that came into his life. So in Luke chapter 19, beginning with verse 1, it says, Then Jesus entered and passed through Jericho. Now behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus who was a chief tax collector, and he was rich. And he sought to see who Jesus was, but could not because of the crowd, for he was of short stature. So he ran ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him, for he was going to pass that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and saw him and said to him, Zacchaeus, make haste and come down, for today I must stay at your house. So he made haste, came down, and received him joyfully. But when they saw it, they all murmured, saying, He has gone to be a guest with a man who is a sinner." Then Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Look, Lord, I give half of my goods to the poor, and if I have taken anything from anyone by false accusation, I restore fourfold. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, because he also is the son of Abraham, for the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. Lord Jesus, we ask God that you would speak to our hearts this morning. I ask God that you would, uh, Lord, allow us to truly... Look into our lives, Lord, to see if the change that should be there is there, Lord. And Lord, if there's not, Lord, may we run to you. May we do whatever it takes to see you. And Lord, may we be, Lord, even convicted of those things that might be in our life that should not be there. And Lord, I pray that you'd work in all of our hearts this morning, for we pray in Jesus' name, amen.
Well, this unique little story tells us how a rich man can be saved in contrast to others who are wealthy and refuse to give up their wealth to come to Jesus. But there's more to it than just that. But in fact, if you look back at chapter 18, verses 9 through 14, just back, just a chapter or so, beginning verse 9, it says, Also he spoke this parable to some who trusted in themselves they were righteous, that they were righteous and despised others. Now think about this just for a moment. I know this never happens in churches across America anywhere because Jesus is always in the house. But have you ever known anybody that looked down on others? Here it's happening. It says, He spoke to this parable to some who trusted in themselves because they thought they were righteous and despised others. I hope that's not said of our church. I hope that we're a church that truly is seeking to be righteous and holy. But it says, two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. That's an unlikely pair, maybe. Uh, the Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself, God, I thank you that I am not like other men. Gives a few examples, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even as this tax collector. That's not odd at all. The guy standing next to him. <laughs> I'm not like him. But I wonder how often that our pride gets in the way and we think we're better than someone else. We think we've got it all together. At least that's the air that we're going to give as we come to church because we're going to put our Bible under our arm and, and everybody's going to say, hey, how's it going? We're going to give the what? Pat answer, fine, great, wonderful. And we know that's the farthest thing from the truth because we have so much pride we're not going to deal with it either. So this, goes, this man goes on to say, I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I possess. And the tax collector standing afar off would not so much as raise his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other, for everyone who exalts himself will be abased, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. So you have two pictures of two different tax collectors, one in Luke chapter 19 named Zacchaeus, and the other tax collector, who, unlike the Pharisee, who is saying, listen, God, be merciful to me. I recognize I am a sinner. Whereas the Pharisees, like, who was the religious one, well, I'm not like these guys. I'm better than them. I have it together. They don't. I do. He says, God, be merciful. And we see one characteristic before we really get into the text of it that really needs to be seen in many of us who truly know Jesus Christ, and that's humility. When we come to Christ, there ought to be a humility, realizing who we are. And I think we're going to see that in the life of Zacchaeus just for a moment. And in Luke chapter 18, you see how wealth can prohibit one from coming to the gospel. In Luke chapter 18, verse 18, he says, Now a certain ruler asked him, saying, Good teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? So Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good but one, that is God. You know the commandments, do not commit adultery, do not murder, do not steal, do not bear false witness, honor your father and your mother. And he said, all these I have kept from my youth. And there's probably not a one of us in this room, saved or unsaved, that couldn't say that. Well, I'm a good person. I don't steal, I don't cheat, I'm not coveting, and I kind of mind my own business, and I'm not real proud, I kind of just do my own thing. I'm a really good person. He said, I've done that from my youth. What more? I got it all together. Got the feather in the hat, I'm good. Verse 22 says, So when Jesus heard these things, he said to him, You still lack one thing. So all that you have and distribute to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, and come, follow me. 
But when he heard this, he became very sorrowful. Why? For he was very rich. See, so many of us say that we're willing to do anything for Jesus. I'll do anything for Jesus. I'll, I'll, I'll be one, I mean, if he just asks me, I will do it. Sometimes I think we have to ask ourselves, really? Am I willing really to do anything that Jesus might ask me to do? He may never ask you to get rid of everything. He may never ask you to get rid of anything. But what if he does? What would you be willing to give up to come to Jesus? I'm amazed at how much we have. We are a wealthy nation. The stuff that we find on the side of roads that people get rid of is more than what most people in other countries have. We are spoiled. We are blessed. But there are things that, maybe not monetarily, that we're just not willing to give up. I'm not going to give up my time. Someone else will take care of that. I'm not going to give up my talents because I just don't feel like working at it. I don't want to practice. don't want to do things for others. A little more selfish. But if we're honest with ourselves this morning, we're really unwilling to give up a lot, even though we say that we'd give up anything. So you have two pictures here. You have a Pharisee who has it all together. He's religious. He knows the law inside and out. He follows the rules. And a tax collector says, be merciful to me, a sinner. And then you have the wealthy man who says, I just have too much to give up. How much is too much to give up for the Lord? And as we come into this, there's a few key thoughts, words from this story. So then Jesus entered in and passed through Jericho. And there was a man named Zacchaeus who was a chief tax collector and was rich. We see something about Zacchaeus. He was a tax collector and he was rich. Uh, not only was he a tax collector, but there's a key word there. He was a chief tax collector. In other words, it was a position of authority. It was a position of prominence. It was a kind of a supervising position. He would most likely had other tax collectors who were not on his level beneath him, and they would collect, and, and, and Zacchaeus, as the chief tax collector, would get a percentage of what the other tax collectors were getting. So it just padded his pockets. It made him more wealthy. And of course, anytime the tax collector is getting some money, those that are underneath him are getting what? Excited to give it? No. They're getting more and more upset. He was not... A nice guy to many people. But Zacchaeus, among other tax collectors, was despised. But here's what's happening. At least I think in my mind's eye. If I could just kind of go back, close my eyes, and just think about how this was being processed out. There's a crowd. And the word is out. Jesus is doing miracles. He's restoring sight to the blind. He is giving hearing to the deaf. He is healing those who have never walked and giving them the ability to walk again. He is touching lives. And the word is out. And Zacchaeus says, I want to see. I really want to see this man. And he kind of scopes out the area a little bit and he sees that there's a, there's a trail or a, a village road coming this way and there's some trees up there. And he, and he makes a, a decision in his mind to climb up that tree because he knew Jesus was going to come that way. And so he climbs that tree. 
because he wanted to see Jesus. He had a couple things going against him. The crowd was against him because he was short, which was another thing that was against him. Um, yeah, just maybe a little bit at odds. But he was willing to overcome the obstacles to see Jesus. Get that in your mind just for a moment. He was willing to overcome the obstacles to see Jesus. You see, we live in a world and in our culture where it's very easy to be religious. There's churches on every corner. There's churches for every women wham that, that you have under the sun. If you want to go get wasted on Saturday night and come to church on Sunday, there's churches like that. It's okay. If you want to not be confronted with the, the truth of your lifestyle, man, there's churches that will say that's okay. There's a church for every woman wham under the sun. Being religious is easy. But working on a relationship is a little more difficult. Zacchaeus wasn't quite, wasn't quite there yet, but he was interested. And he is willing to climb the tree to overcome his short stature, to overcome the crowd for a chance to see Jesus. I wonder what's the next thing that God wants you to overcome to get closer to him. What is it that is hindering you from seeing Jesus in your life? It could be anything. It could be a job. It could be a relationship could be a frustration. It could be a disappointment. And whatever it is, it's become an obstacle that you've allowed to impede your vision of Jesus. And it's time to start climbing. It's time to start rising above. Zacchaeus was willing to do that. How bad do you want to see Jesus? Zacchaeus wanted to see Jesus bad enough to climb the tree. You say, well, I'm old. I can't climb trees anymore. I just have this kind of sneaking suspicion in my mind that Zacchaeus probably wasn't no 20-year-old. He had gotten to a place of position. He had been around for a while. Probably wasn't a young man. Maybe not real old, but not definitely not young. It doesn't matter your age. It doesn't matter your condition. What matters is your desire to draw close to Jesus. What is it that you're willing to overcome, climb above, rise above, to draw closer to Him? What obstacles are you willing to climb above? Here's the second thing I want you to notice in the story from verse 5. Verse 5 says this, And when Jesus came to the place, He looked up and saw Him. Let me ask you a question. Does God know where you're at? Then why don't we live that way? Does He know where you're at with your finances? Does He know where you're at with your health? Does He know where you're at with your job? Does He know where you're at with your relationships? Does He know where you're at with your fill-in-the-blanks? Yes. So why do we live as though it's all on me. It's my burden to bear. It's amazing that Jesus is passing away. There's a crowd. It's not an easy crowd. I'm sure they're all there watching to see what might happen. And all of a sudden he comes to the place and he looks up. Jesus knew right where Zacchaeus was. 
He knows where you're at. He knows what you're going through. He knows where you're at in your relationship with him. See, I can once again come to church on Sunday and pretend everything's great. And it's not. But we're too ashamed to say anything. We're too proud to get help. We're too proud to say, hey, I need to you know, ask some questions. Zacchaeus was high up in the tree. It's amazing when I think of different circumstances throughout Scripture. I think of Nathaniel. Remember Nathaniel and John, I believe it's chapter 14? Where is he at? Sitting down by the tree underneath the limbs. He's kind of looking around, kind of resting. Jesus knew where he was, and the question was asked, can any good thing come out of Nazareth? I mean, think about it. Nazareth? Really? Yeah. Just sitting there minding his business, but Jesus knew who where he was. I think about Gideon hiding near a wine press, kind of away from it all, just kind of getting away from things, maybe afraid, scared. God knew where he was. I think of Peter struggling on the water. Did God know the storm was going to come? Duh. <laughs> when he sent him out, he knew he was going to, what he was going to encounter. God knew where he was. You see, it's not God that moves. God's always God. God is where God is. Knowing where everything is, is and where, where everything that's taking place is taking place. Question. Why don't we live that way? Why don't we live as though God is right here beside me? As if, as what well, half of our grandmothers had in their kitchens... Jesus is the unseen guest at every meal. Man, he's there. But not only is he there, he's in us. 1 Corinthians 6, 19, 20. But he knows where you're at. But here's what I find interesting. It's a two-way street. Zacchaeus wanted to see him, and Jesus knew where he was at. And when you put that two combination together, great things can happen. When you're seeking God, and God is seeking you. Isn't that great? Jesus told him to make haste. Come down, for today I must stay at your house. Now here's the thing. Must. The word must is really interesting there in the text. It means it's definitely going to happen. It's a planned thing. It's on the calendar, and it's, I'm going there to make it happen. He went there with an intention that I'm going to go have a conversation with Zacchaeus. Sometimes we miss that in the text. But Zacchaeus didn't delay. See, here's where the struggle is for a lot of us. We might know where Jesus is. We don't know where God is, right? We read about him in his word. We know that Jesus is sitting at the right hand of the Father making intercession for us. and We know where God We know how to find God. Don't we? Some of us do. We know how to find God. We pray and we know that God's going to be there to hear us. But when Jesus told Zacchaeus, make haste to come down, what if Zacchaeus said, no, I just kind of want to see you from a distance? No, 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 I'm good. Just, 
I just kind of, well, I'm just checking you out. I'm observing. Just, just, no, I'm good. I'm good. I'll stay up here. You just kind of do your thing. I'm in the good seat. I got the box office seats, right? I'm up here above everybody. I got a good, good, good bird's eye view. I'm good. What if Zacchaeus would have made the decision, you know what? Uh, not yet. Just watching. Just checking things out. See, here's the part that we sometimes forget. Is that when Jesus calls us to action, he really wants us to respond with obedience. If there's no response of obedience, look at the Greek word, Lord, means master. He's not our master for not obeying. He's just a person. That we can choose to obey or disobey. But when he's curious, when he's Lord, when he's master, we do what he says. That day, because he responded in obedience, his life changed. We've been talking about this the last few weeks. Obedience brings blessing. Disobedience brings destruction. Here's another picture of that. Obedience brought him blessing. How do we know? He says, make haste. Jesus knew what Zacchaeus needed. And like Zacchaeus, we should not delay coming to Christ. Maybe you're here today and say, well, I've known Jesus for a lot of years. What obstacles are impeding you drawing close to him? Maybe you're here this morning, you've never made that decision to come to Jesus. What's holding you back? It'll change your life. It changes everything. I love what it says in 2 Corinthians chapter 6. In verse 2, I'll read the verse for you. It says this, For he says, In an acceptable time I have heard you, and and into the day of salvation I have helped you. Behold, now is the accepted time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. What obstacle would hinder you from coming and giving everything to Jesus? You see, what happened to Zacchaeus that day changed his life. He made made an attempt to see Jesus who was passing by. He's willing to rise above the obstacles, the stature, the the people, the crowd. He's willing to get up in a tree. And everything changed that day. How do I know that? Well, the story tells us that. Verse 5, or 7, excuse me. When they saw it, they all murmured, saying, He was gone to be a guest with a man who is a sinner. And Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Look, Lord, I give half my goods to the poor. And if I have taken anything from anyone by false accusation, I restore fourfold. Now what lunatic gives away half of what he has to someone who's poor? That's one way you could look at it, right? What lunatic would just give it all away? And then make a statement, and if there's anybody accusing me of not being just, anybody says, hey, that's not fair, that's not right, you've cheated me, I'll restore fourfold. What does that give us an indication of? He's a changed man because of his encounter with Jesus. He's a changed man. Now, some of us, we're always worried about what other people are going to say or do when they find out how spiritual we are, religious we are. No different for Zacchaeus. When he came down and Jesus made, it, made, made the opportunity to go to his house and spend time with him. What happened? The crowd 
They appreciated what Jesus was doing? No. I mean, Jesus accepted him how? Joyfully. But the crowd, the religious crowd, chastised him. They murmured, they complained, they griped. Who is this man who is meeting with sinners as if they weren't one? Oh, isn't it easy to be judgmental? Isn't it easy to be critical? Because your sin is different than my sin. Your actions are different than my actions. Jesus was perfect, though. And he takes the time to meet with them. But I see a thing, something happened here. Two things happened. The people murmured because Jesus received Zacchaeus, which there's always going to be people when you make a stand for the Lord are not going to understand. But secondly, and this is a great opportunity for us to learn a principle from Jesus' life, Jesus' actions were not swayed by the crowd. Jesus' actions were not swayed by the crowd. If he was worried about what the crowd was thinking, he would have never said, hey, Zacchaeus, come on down, we're going to your house. If he was worried about what the crowd was thinking, he wouldn't have got excited and joyful, as the text tells us, upon seeing him. Jesus' actions were not swayed by the crowd. So let me ask this question, because I had to ask myself this question. How much of what I do is based on what other people will think? How much of what I do is based upon what others will think of me? Boy, if I really get committed, if I really serve, if I really pray, if I really read my Bible, if I really start talking about my faith, what will other people think? How will they respond to me? Will they think less of me? Will they kind of think I'm a crazy nut job? Will they? People are always going to talk. One way or the other, they're going to talk. And sometimes it's even in the church. So what are you going to do? Just back off? Pretend you don't have that relationship that you say that you have? Jesus' actions were not swayed by the crowd. Neither should ours. And was Zacchaeus' life changed because of his encounter with Jesus? How can we know? Well, he was willing to give half of his goods to the poor. Many of us aren't willing to give anything to the poor. We stereotype the poor person. We know why they're poor. We've never had a conversation with them, but we know why they're poor. They must have done some really, really bad, dumb things. They must have really made some poor choices. That's why they're poor. That's why they're in that circumstance. I just know that. Oh, how do you know that? I just know. Anybody guilty of that? I've been guilty of that. You see someone standing around. They're that person I saw on John Stossel's report that's just making a living by panhandling. You just know. Why? Because you just know. And what we know may be wrong. Once again, the neighbor next door with the long grass. Jerks, why won't they mow it? But what we didn't find out is that they have cancer. They're struggling. Who gives away half their goods to the poor if not somebody who's had a change of heart? And number two, Zacchaeus was willing to return four times more to anyone with accusations against him. So was he really saved? Did, did the faith really affect him? What were Jesus' words? Look at 9 and 10. 
And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, because he is also the son of Abraham. For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. Today salvation has come. You see, true salvation results in a changed life. Take a moment and turn over to Ephesians chapter 4, if you would. Ephesians chapter 4. I was reading this yesterday. Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, or Ephesians chapter 4. I want to begin reading with verse 17. This I say therefore, and testify in the Lord, that you should no longer walk as the rest of the Gentiles walk, in the futility of their mind. So when Christ comes into our life, there's a change that takes place. We should live differently. We should walk differently. We should talk differently. So he says, don't walk as the Gentiles did in the futility of their mind, having their understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God because of their ignorance that is in them, because of the hardening of their heart. Why? Because now you have Jesus impacting your life. There should be a change who being past feeling have given themselves over to licentiousness, to work all uncleanness with greediness. Those are not the characteristics that needed to be in the child of God. There should be a change. Just keep that, keep that in mind. But what's the problem here, he says? But you have not so learned Christ. If indeed you have heard him and have been taught by him, as the truth is in Jesus, that you put off concerning the former conduct, the old man which grows corrupt according to the deceitful lusts, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind, and that you may put on the new man, which was created according to God in righteousness and true holiness. Why, our whole, everything about us changes. Our conduct, our conversations, our lifestyle. So therefore, putting away lying, each one speak the truth to his neighbor, for we are members of one another. Be angry, do not sin, do not let the sun go down on your wrath nor give place to the devil. Let him who steals, steal no longer. But rather let him labor, working with his hands what is good, that he may have something to give him as need. Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good and necessary for edification that may impart grace to the hearers. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, evil speaking be put away from you with all mouths. And be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, just as God in Christ also forgave you. Has there been a change in your life? Are you still living as though Christ is not living with you? So read this, and man, I just, this childhood story starts speaking to me. What do I let, what do I let get in the way of me walking close to Jesus? What obstacle do I let impede my relationship with him? You say, well, Zacchaeus had a valid point. He's short. Nobody wanted to see Jesus. He's one to overcome the obstacle. You say, well, Jesus, or Zacchaeus was in a crowd and Jesus was in a crowd. He couldn't get close to him. No, but he's willing to overcome the obstacle because he wanted to get close to Jesus. Change his life. And can I just say this this morning? If you will get close to Jesus, it will change your life. I remember in high school, as I shared my testimony of how I came to know the Lord and how I gave my life to Christ, I remember my first summer away from camp, or away from my home. Um, I was 
in eighth grade, and uh, I went away for three months that summer. And I worked with the missionaries up in Canada and um, worked my tail off. But while I was there on summer staff, we had all these requirements that I didn't understand as a junior hire. I had to read a Spurgeon sermon every week and write a report on it. Um, so that's where I first began to read about Spurgeon. He had the whole entire 300-volume set of whatever it was. seemed like 300 volumes of every Spurgeon sermon he ever spoke. I had to pick one and read it every week and do a report on it. Every morning I had to be at the, at the chapel, 6.30 in the morning, reading my Bible and praying. They said, no, you don't have to do this, but this is what we recommend. If you want to draw close to God, we would like for you to do this every week. Can't force you. If you don't want to do it, there's not really a lot of consequence but other than you're missing out. But I did it. Read the Spurgeon sermon, did the report, had my devotions, read through the Bible. And what I found was this. At the end of three months of doing this, I went home. And I got, after about two weeks, so frustrated with everybody around me. And I looked at my pastor and I said, Pastor Derek, everybody has changed around here. They're jerks. They're selfish. They're this, they're that. And I went off. And he just started laughing. I said, why are you laughing? He said, because everybody here is the same as they've been. Three months immersed in the Word changed you. I remember thinking about that and saying, wow, he's right. See, getting close to Jesus changes things. But how often do we let things get in the way of us getting closer to him. In the case of Zacchaeus, it led to his salvation. He said, today salvation has come to your house. But Zacchaeus made it a point to get close to Jesus. Let me ask you a question as we close this morning. It's a simple childhood story. Sang about it for years. But the truth of it is still here. What excuses are you using? What excuses do you possess that is keeping you from getting close to Jesus? You say, well, it's the other person's fault. It's that circumstance. It's my employer. It's that relationship. It's that anxiety. It's that fill in the blank because we all have a million of them we could use, right? I, I know I do. Time, busyness, hurried, lifestyle, children. Which one do you want to use? Pick your choice. If we allow those to be obstacles that we say we can't get over, then we miss out of the blessing of knowing Jesus and walking closely with him. But if you're willing to be like Zacchaeus and rise above, great things can happen. You notice what Jesus didn't do in the story? Think about it for a moment. One thing that we don't read about in the story is Jesus holding Zacchaeus' past against him. Oh my goodness, I know people that will look back 20 years. Well, you remember back when you, 20 years ago, 
I'm like, get over it. I've had people in my office. 40 years ago, they did something and they're still bringing it up. Wasting space in the brain. I don't see Jesus saying, Zacchaeus, you know, if you could just go home and you could work on these three or four things, then we can have a conversation. That ought to teach us something. You don't use the past against people. You use it to move forward. I don't know who said it. There's been a million people attributed to it, but those who forget the past are condemned to repeat it. So you learn from it, but you move through it. That's why Paul said, forgetting those things which are behind. I'm looking forward now. So what's the obstacle that's hindering you from getting close to Jesus? What is the obstacle? Is it a person? Is it a place? Is it a thing? What is it? What are you going to do to rise above it? get close to Jesus so that Jesus can work in your life so he can change your life Zacchaeus didn't go on and do nothing his lifestyle changed after that he gave away half of what he had and I'm certain another chunk of it went to those who accused him falsely or even correctly but he was willing to give it up You can't draw close to Jesus if you're not willing to give up something to come to him. Does that make sense? You can't get close if you're not willing to surrender. You can't get close if you're not willing to give up. As long as we're going to hold on to whatever it is that's going to impede the relationship, it will go nowhere. I hope we can learn from this. So many things in the life of Zacchaeus that we can learn from. But I'm asking you this morning, what's the obstacle that you need to overcome to draw closer to Jesus? And are you willing to overcome it? This morning, maybe it's going to require saying, hey, God, forgive me. I've been holding on to this hurt, holding on to this circumstance, holding on to this situation, holding a grudge against that person. Whatever the obstacle is, are you willing to surrender it, lay it at Jesus' feet? so that you can restore that relationship with Jesus like Zacchaeus did. Change his life. It'll change yours. Let's pray.